Oh man, missed opportunity. I I don't know why I've been listening to like early two thousands music. Yeah. Like when you came in today, I like. Did you notice? Like I was. I don't know why I was embarrassed. Some Gavin DeGraw, man. Oh heck Back in the day. I don't want to be. You just called somebody. Who do you call? (laughs) I don't know. I should have put him on speaker. I think it was a salesperson (laughs) knocking around on your phone and called somebody. I guess thought it was locked. I don't want to be anything alone. Is this Dav- Gavin DeGraw? Then I present God's song. Is this Will Chamberlain? What? Have the courage to speak. What are you talking about? A Will Ferrell glass case. Reference I'm in a glass case, case of oh, emotion. gotcha. Was what? he in a wreck? Did you see something he was. about Will Ferrell went, going to the hospital? <laughs> this is the DMZ podcast. Thoughts and prayers. Hey. Uh, to Will Ferrell. Hey, in other news. Every now and then, I you, have you ever went, caught TMZ? Hey, you kind of went hairy. The hairy eagle, though. I almost went the eagle. Your <laughs> eagle voice. One hundred six point nine. The eagle. No, you almost went uh, Harry Carey. Will <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that noise. Hi. Oh gosh. If you were a hot dog, would you eat yourself? So, how much of our comedy is based on Will Ferrell? Oh, uh, I get. I get. I've said this before. I get a lot of Brian Regan too. Yeah. So probably fifty fifty. Will Ferrell, Brian Regan. Well, anything that we thought was funny, mm-hmm. and I, some of it holds up. But have you watched some stuff lately and been like, what? A, what am I doing right now? You know, like, of, of Will Ferrell. Yeah. Stuff? No, I haven't watched any Will Ferrell lately. Yeah, you should. And <laughs> go back. Just, let me just tell you, you might be a little disappointed. <laughs> but still, I'll say this: at church, uh, like before service, when we're checking all the mics and stuff, if it's too loud or if it squeals, I still do the. Ooh, oh, we got a hot oh, mic. Oh, got a real got, got a, real a hot, hot mic, mic here. And look around like, does somebody know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Man, I'm hilarious, huh? Anybody? No? No one? He All was, right. Saturday Night Alive, it's a was, bit. Uh, what's the word? Instrumental in our growing up? I mean, instrumental. What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Foundational? He was a pillar. He, there you go. Of our of our adolescence. That's scary. I guess, yeah, because we were a little too old for the like the David Spade, Adam Sandler, Norm yeah. Macdonald, Chris Rock. They were yeah, a we watched us. it a little bit, but uh, yeah. we pretended to get the jokes yeah. when we watched it, right? Yeah, like you're like, <laughs> man, this guy. Chris Farley's bits, those hold up. Oh yeah, physical comedy never gets old. I, okay, you and I are alike in that because that's same. That's the same reason that we like Kevin James oh, so yeah. much. He's so and good. everybody just dumps on him, but we're like, man, anything that guy makes, Zookeeper, great movie. <laughs> Uh, what's the one where he's a where he becomes a fighter where he's the teacher but he becomes an MMA guy? Uh, I feel like it's called the fighter or yeah. something like that. <laughs> right? I don't know something about the physical comedy. Paul man. Blart Mall Cop is they're, they're a fantastic. Classic. I'm a Kevin James guy. I, I can't help it. There's if you're a funny big fat guy who can also do a cartwheel, like that's impressive. That's why I'm doing CrossFit. I don't want to lose weight. I just want to be able to do a cartwheel. <laughs> Fitness Preacher goals, goals. fitness goals. I I want to be able to fit this whole pizza into my mouth. I'll get out of here. And also no. do some cool, yeah. No, all right. Let's get serious. It's Is that, serious. It's serious. So today's, time. if you have, who's your favorite comedian? Call in at one of those things, the eagle. Let's just start the podcast. Let's do this thing. <laughs> I just, that, was three and a, that was three and a half minutes of radio gold. What's happening, podcast listeners? It is the one hour a week podcast, a 30-minute podcast about life, ministry, and the pursuit of happiness. <laughs> it's me, Rusty Mott, with Happiness my good friend. with a Y, like the Will Smith movie. 
Yeah, great, great film. I still like that you. Oh, I'm why are we Hollywood. talking about celebrities? And <laughs> I just like that you were, that you were like, I don't care about cholesterol or blood pressure. I just want to be able to do a cartwheel. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm all after. of it is. I'm gonna literally walk out of the gym and quit. That's after it, I'm that. done. I've arrived. <laughs> thank you, guys. It's been a great journey. I want to thank everyone who's helped me. Who wants to join me at the pizza place? <laughs> drop a barbell on the floor. <laughs> I'm out. Mott is out. Just pick one up to drop it. Like not to that I lifted it. Just pick it up so I can slam it down. Hey, coach. Are we working on cartwheels today? Really, <laughs> really chasing that, that wheel. Oh, man. Well, we are glad that you're listening today, and hopefully you have enjoyed our random discussion so far. That's what we're all about, man. We are uh, all about randomness and talking about celebrities. You are listening to the One Hour Week TMZ podcast <laughs> where we just talk about the happenings in the world. Well, we said when we started this that we wanted it to kind of be, you know, if you and I met for coffee, which we do a lot, and just hit record on our conversations. It's a little, it's a little more organized than that. But I would say, I would say that over the life of the podcast, it's a little bit more like that than We've it was in the looser. beginning. Oh, yeah, yeah, like in the beginning, it was more like, uh, "Hello, it's uh, me, Rusty, and Jared's here, and we're talking about the Bible." And we would point at each other when it was our yeah. time to talk. Like, <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. I did notice that, like in last week's episode, we uh, stepped all over each yeah, other. Yeah, and we don't care, and that, but that, that made it better, man. I think so. We're getting really good. <laughs> I do, yeah, we're we're getting so good. We're so good at this podcast thing. You people are just so fortunate to be able to listen to this. Oh gosh! Once again, shout out to my mom and mm-hmm. brother Jimmy, Granny, Rusty's Granny. No, we no. ran out of people that are listening. No. Did you hear that, uh, Elizabeth? Kyle, we'll give a uh, Kyle a shout Kyle, out. Does Reed listen? Reed, he he'll start. He's not. Nathan Dean. Let's just giving everybody call outs. Anyway. Here's the problem with doing that though. We're leaving somebody True story. Kyle yesterday said, yeah, I heard y'all give Reed a shout out. Oh, get over it. Like, don't do that, Kyle. Okay, let's go through Steven Woodard. (laughs) Let's just go through our- Jordan (laughs) Reese. Today's episode, we're literally going to read read out all of our Twitter followers. (laughs) So here we go. Scott Moody sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes. Well, Tony listen. Wolf, are you listening yet? You listening yet? Probably my, not. My man, my buddy. My man. Dr. T, Tony Wolf. Well, we are very glad you're listening today. We want to talk about the importance of kind of what we're doing right now. You can tell uh, six to seven minutes into this podcast, just the random banter that has gone on here, that there is a lot of water under the bridge in the relationship that is Jared and Rusty. We've hung out for many years now and have become good friends. And we want to talk about the importance of developing these types of friendships and what the Christian buzzword that we, uh, Christian buzzword bingo, if you're playing, this might finish your card for the one hour week podcast, developing community, the importance of having a community of people you belong to. I don't know if you've watched the news lately, but there is uh, just a slew, if I can use the word slew, a slew of controversies in evangelical Christianity right now. Uh, Pastors who are caught in scandal, whether that be sexual scandals, Textual sexual scandals, whatever, whatever textual you want to say, scandals? it's a real thing. Look it up. No, actually, don't Google that. Uh, but it's just scandal abounds, problems abound, division abounds, division abounds. And one thing that came out a few weeks ago when uh, Frank Page, who was the Southern Baptist Convention executive director, uh, retired and then later said, "No, I'm actually resigning due to moral indiscretion." We don't really know what that is. Need to be praying for him and his family, certainly. But one of the things that came out is people released uh, a couple of blog posts talking about 
the danger of isolation. Yeah. And I don't know if you saw that, but but there was a little list on a couple of those that basically said these character traits have been similar to all of these people who have fallen. And one of the top ones is that they had withdrawn from community. They had become increasingly isolated in their position. Nobody could speak into them. Nobody could challenge them. And as they became more isolated, uh, they were in a very dangerous and vulnerable position. So today we want to talk about how to get out of that. Well, so stay on that for a second though. I think, you know, the, the old saying is that it's lonely at the top and that's, that that's not just about started at the bottom. Now we're here. That's not just about, you know, success, that it's rare to find success, but it is lonely at the top because the, the higher you climb in those positions, you uh, kind of by necessity have to make your circle smaller. Um, but then sometimes I think that if you're not careful and intentional to use another Christian buzzword, bingo, that circle can get too small. And yeah, it does lead to uh, a lack of accountability, a lack of vulnerability, people uh, saying hard things to you. So I, I think that I don't think anybody ever sets out to close themselves off from the world or to be isolated. I think it just kind of happens over time. Yeah. yeah, and I think sometimes that feeling of isolation is just the devil being a jerk. You know, I think there are times here where I convince myself, nobody knows, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm all by myself. I'm a man on an island. No one knows what it's like to be me. No one, by the way, that's a thing that happened in the Bible too, right? Yeah. Uh, Elijah. You know, that's one of his complaints to God in First Kings 19. When he's he says, I'm the, the only one here. Yeah. I'm the only one who served you, and now they're going to kill me too. And God's like, hey, man, there's like a, what is it, 7,000? Yeah, like, who have never bowed their a, knee to Baal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he's like, you ain't the only one, bro. Yeah. Um, so it's easy to get there, and it's easy to feel like you're isolated and alone. Um, and can we just say also that it's safer to be isolated than alone sometimes in this regard? Uh, kind of like, I've never put myself out there, so I've never, uh, I've never lost love because I've never tried to pursue love. To use like kind of stupid poetic lines, right? Explain a little further. What do you mean? Well, here's what I mean by that. Like I can't get hurt if I'm not exposed. Yes, that that yeah. Okay. So I've I've experienced that in ministry. When I came here, I wanted to be radically different from some of the things that I grew up witnessing of the pastors being withdrawn from the people. Yeah, and kind of different and set apart and I was like no I'm just I'm gonna be me I'm gonna be authentic I'm gonna be who I am another Christian buzzword I'm gonna really work hard to be who I am faults and all and be real to our church well everything that people told me turned out to be true that if you are people will use things against you they will and let me just say that when I've been hurt when I've been discouraged when I've been burdened that the first reaction of my flesh is to say no more. Yeah. I'm going to be CEO, pastor rusty. I'm going to be in my office. People will respect me. Uh, they may not know me, but they'll respect me. Yeah. You know, uh, this is what usually happens is stuff like because I'm friends and because of our age, mm-hmm. let's just be honest. And I know we have a lot of young pastors listening because I'm around the same ballpark of their age. People will say things, text things, uh, write things about me that they would never do to their pastor in normal circumstances. Well, I mean, if their pastor was 20 years older. Yeah. Yeah, because you're more of a peer than a than an authority figure. Yes. Yeah. So, so that will frustrate me sometimes, and I'll think, man, I wish I wouldn't have a 
I wish, wish I didn't have a relationship with you. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely you. a risk that we take when we do that, but I think that's the, the better and healthier way to do it. It is, it is, but I'm just, so I guess playing devil's advocate, not not suggesting that's the way we ought to do it, but that's why yeah, I think, get it. that's why I get to that yeah. ice point of isolation that I get to occasionally is that, no, I'm going to be very formal with you. I'm going to be very guarded around everybody because I am tired of being wounded. But that also, um, to kind of shift the conversation away from us and kind of down to our congregations that we lead. If we as the pastors and, and leaders live that way, uh, I think that it flows over into the congregation and what we'll get is a whole bunch of, you know, a whole church full of people who show up and are formal and disconnected and then go home yeah. uh, and don't have any relationships. So I think that part of, yeah, it's a risk that we take in doing that, but I think it's also a good example that we set that if we, the pastors and the ministry leaders are willing to be open and intentional in building relationships, I think that's going to do a lot of good for others too. Yeah. Well, because isn't that what we want? Don't we? We don't want an assembly of 150 individuals to come and hear a sermon. We want. I mean, you you're the one that I first heard say that our church should be more like a family than a business. Yeah. Um. And so that's what we want is we want these people to be a church family. So yeah, we've got to be intentional about doing that if we want them to. Well, I know here at Cornerstone, of course. Some of you know the history of our church. Some of you that mm. don't live in our area don't, but we were a church split originally, or as I like to call it, a non-traditional Southern Baptist church plant. Uh, and because of the wounds that were carried over mm. from some of our core leadership here, um, man, the way I've compared it before, and, and if you're listening and you're a Cornerstone member, you know I love you, and I've probably said this to you, but I compare it to dating somebody who had a terrible ex-boyfriend, Right. Uh, every time I do anything or say anything, it's like, where have you been? Who is she? You know, there's, there's kind of the very guarded, uh, and very quick to assume the worst in me sometimes, but also suspicious, suspicious of me. But, uh, and that's not really all that bad, but here's what I have noticed. That's worse. That happens occasionally. And I think that's because of the history, but what happens more is that people don't want to get close to each other. Mm -hmm because it was so painful yeah. to have to be ripped out of that body over there that they don't want to be close and have to go through that again. Yeah. And um, it's something we've had to work through. Some of my best friends in this church uh, have been close to me, but afraid to get close to the other brothers and sisters in the church, you know? Um, and it's like, hey, we've got to do this. Discipleship's not optional. Community is not optional. Right. Fellowship is a biblical principle. Yeah. So we got to do it. So how do y'all at Cornerstone cultivate that? I mean, are because I think we do have to be intentional about it. I know that every pastor and church leader would say, well, yeah, we want our people to be a family and we want there to be fellowship. Um, so how how do y'all try to cultivate that here? Are there is there anything intentional y'all are doing? Do you have conversations about it or do you say it from the stage? Uh, I know that y'all have CBFs, that's your small groups, right? Yeah. Like do you, and I know y'all try to encourage people to, to get involved in those, but... Like what other steps are y'all taking to try and push people that way? Well, some of our small groups, our CBFs, Cornerstone Bible Fellowships is what we call those. Some of them are doing a real good job of being a fellowship and community, but a lot of them are just classes, Mm -hmm. if we're honest. It's just your traditional, hey, come sit down and we teach. And there's not a whole lot of deep community going there. But what I kind of consider our CBFs is the starting point for fellowship. Uh, like I said, there are a couple of them that have deep and real serious fellowship and connection, mm-hmm. but the most of them, it's kind of just your entry point into yeah. stepping a little deeper into the body of Christ. Uh, what we really want to happen is have people connect into smaller groups than that 
for intentional discipleship. Like I lead a couple of groups of men. Um, we have a, a group of our deacons and elders that are meeting with the intention of them all leading a group about a year from now. And the, the goal is to have groups of three or four that are really walking through life together, that can sit down and have hard conversations, that can really have those types of deep and abiding relationships. Because honestly, even the CBF is a step deeper, but it's still pretty surface level mm-hmm. for the most part. And we, we want to foster real walking through life together as Christ followers. What does it look like for us to live for Jesus every single day and have that kind of connection with each other? And, you know, that's what we stri- strive to have as our pastors and our group of pastor friends. You know, we've got a handful of guys that, man, they're, they're tight. They yeah. can call us out. We can have hard conversations with each other. And, uh, man, we really need that. And yeah. I think this is why the genesis of this episode maybe is you and I have recognized how important this is for us. Mm-hmm. Well, our people have to have that too. So that's how we try to do that. And what you said earlier, we do talk about it from the stage. We say you need somebody. We, we've been going through First Samuel, and I know you've been going through First Samuel too. And we're in the part where David or Saul is just trying to kill David yeah. all the time. And we've talked about the contrast between David and Jonathan's relationship and how Saul got increasingly isolated yeah. and became more paranoid and became crazier and crazier <laughs> and further out of the will of God. Nobody could speak into his life, not even his own son. And uh, we talk about how when we don't have Christian friendship, that's the road we go down. So... Um, so we try to just communicate that in big ways and small ways. And then also in just this organic discipleship movement yeah. that we're trying to make happen, but it's slow. It's not, it's not, I guess what I want to say is while programming is important and mentioning it's important, mm-hmm. it's really just organic yeah. and it's, it's a whooping because we want to do something that in six months we can be like, Hey everybody, it's working great. Just look how but great. Slow. And I think it's slower slow. than we want. And I think it's smaller than we want too. And by that, I mean this. When I was at Peachtree, uh, I stepped into a church that was already, I pastored Peachtree Baptist Church in Jasper for seven years. And when I got there, they had gone through three or four pastors in less than 10 years. And so it gotten gotten down to a really small group of faithful members. A lot of them were related. All of them had been there for decades. And so I stepped into a small group of people that already had this connection. And so it was real easy that as we started growing, it was easy to incorporate one new family at a time into this small group that we already had. And then at our peak when I was there, you know, we were running around 125 on Sunday mornings, which is still a small church. I mean, I know I know statistics say, no, that's an average church. Yeah, but that's a small group of people. 125 people yeah. is kind of easy to keep your arms around and keep everybody incorporated and involved. So I went from there to Con Acres where we're about twice the size. Um, and so my mentality had changed where we can't have the whole church, you know, 250 people every Sunday morning. We can't have everybody connected to everybody. So what we have to try to think about is, is we need everybody connected to somebody. We need, and so you were saying, you know, you got your CBS, but really uh, you're shifting your focus to these smaller groups of four and five. I think that should kind of be the goal where we don't want everybody to know everybody, but we want everybody to have three or four friends in the church, right? That they're connected to. Is that... Yeah. Is that reasonable? Yeah, definitely. And um, as a church grows, anything beyond what you talked about, you know, 125 or so, it becomes impossible to know everybody. Yeah. And one of the most frustrating things that I run into here, because we are not on the cusp of becoming a big church, but you could see where if a few things happen the right way, we might could be. Yeah. 
So Easter, you know, is Easter. So let's just recognize that before I say what I'm about to say. <laughs> so we run about 200 mm-hmm. and like Easter, we had 500. Right. Okay. Um, and I kid you not, I had a guy on Easter Sunday as everyone's leaving, come up to me and say, you know, I'm really worried because I sure don't want us to become a mega church. <laughs> and my flesh... On Super Bowl Sunday. On Super Bowl Sunday, church, yeah, yeah. Like when you're holding the trophy up. Right. Like, I mean, because it was, a, you know how it is. It's a great moment. Sure. And I love what my friend, the pastor at Parkway uh, Life in Lumberton, Nathan Keating, put on Facebook. He said, I love the week after Easter because I feel like the church I pastor is three times the size it yeah, is. Yeah, you ride that high. <laughs> so, yeah. I, oh, I, and I did, man. I was, you know, people say, so what are y'all running at Cornerstone? Ah, about 500, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> like at least this week. Yeah. But no, so, but my flesh, I'm just like, I don't think I worry about that, man. Yeah. Uh, come back next week. It'll be a couple hundred of us again. So, but all that to say, the fear is that we'll lose that family connection. But what I always try to push back on people, and this has been documented on the podcast before, so I won't go long into this, but I will say that a couple years ago when we had had some pretty big growth in a mm-hmm. couple years, I could tell that we had lost the family feel of our church. Yeah. And I just got up in front of the church. It was our, you know, the big rollout we do every year, the state of the church address. And I just said, hey, we got to start being a family again. Yeah. That's why we grew. That's what made us unique. That's what made us special as a church to reach out to our community. And we've lost it. And over the last year, I'm, I'm happy to say that I think we've gotten an aspect of that back. It's an aspect, though. It has to be different because... Again, as your church grows, that's when you that's when we as the pastors and leaders really have to press into what Paul said in Ephesians that our job is not to do ministry, our job is to equip the saints to do the ministry. We like I can't I can't wrangle in 300 people and get them all plugged in, but what I can do is I can empower our deacons and I can empower our Sunday school leaders and I can empower our youth and children's volunteers and let them chase their groups of 25 to 30 or however many they have kind of under their umbrella of influence and trust them to be leading a family of believers. And, and, and this goes back to where we started. When I do that, it does, as the pastor, it does kind of separate me a step from the congregation, right? And so I can, you know, to go back to what you were saying earlier about these mega church pastors who get isolated, like you can kind of see as the church gets bigger and bigger and you have to empower more people and pass the baton further down the line, like you can see how quickly and easily that can happen where the leader's on the mountaintop by himself and he's just handing off the responsibilities to everybody else. So it's it's necessary and we should guard against that. But I mean, I, I don't know how else to do it other than trusting the small group leaders, the Sunday school teachers to be responsible for their little flock within the larger flock. Yeah. I, I was talking about this with Matt earlier and this is a podcast for ministry leaders. So um, I think we're big enough to talk about something difficult. I think it's a lot harder when you're at the size church that you're at and that I'm at where you're still working with volunteer leaders mm-hmm. um, because you're, you're relying on volunteer leaders and you're enabling them and you're giving them influence, but they also have other jobs yeah. where you get to these mega churches, they build community really well because they have 10 guys on staff yeah, that are building those guys. communities. This is their job. So, so our folks do a fantastic, and I, I know I can speak for you at Pecan Acres and here at Cornerstone, man, God has blessed us with some amazing leaders yeah. who do phenomenal jobs. Uh, yet one thing that, that makes us not go to those next levels and reach more people and bring more people into that community is the limits of vocation and time. Yeah. 
And you wonder, you know, there there is an aspect of that. You don't want to just bring staff on so your church, church can get bigger. That hasn't borne itself out here. Matt's been here, you know, a year and a half, and uh, he's done an excellent job in all of his ministries, and his ministries have gone up mm-hmm. numerically. But uh, our deacons joked around with them that, well, you'll you'll pay your own salary. I mean, yeah. by the time you're here, you'll bring enough new people in that it'll. And, and I was like, y'all don't put that on him. Like, don't don't do that. Yeah, are we paying you know? him eight grand a year? <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, he's there. Yeah, exactly. good job. But uh, so so I, I don't know if what that adds to the conversation, other than saying most ministry leaders that are listening to this podcast yeah. are in the position we're in. Yeah. So how do we, as the leaders of our communities of faith of our churches? How do we instill in these lay leaders? How do we encourage them to keep up developing that community? Because it's a tough go. Yeah. It's tough for us, and we're vocational. Yeah. So you know it's tough for all these leaders that we are entrusting to build community. So how do we encourage them and help them? Well, again, I think we have to set the example. Uh, one of the best things I've ever learned in ministry, and I learned this from my friend and pastor David Rice, he said that there was a generation of, of pastors um, – who who didn't want to play favorites and you know the kind of the attitude was well I can't I can't get close to anybody cuz I can't let anybody in the church think that I like some church members better than others but David kind of taught me that Jesus played favorites right Jesus preached to the crowds and he helped the multitudes and he fed 5000 but out of those crowds he selected 12 and even among those 12 he had 3 right that his inner circle and even among those 3 John is not embarrassed to say that he was the one that Jesus loved the most. So we kind of get the impression that of the 12, he liked Peter, James, and John. They were closest to him. And this is Jesus we're talking about, right? Our our leader example from on high. Um, and then among the three. I just, hold on. I just want to isolate. Uh, uh-huh, isolate yeah. that. That'll I'll, be a drop. I'll isolate that. But I'll, we need two drops now. Me going, <laughs> and you saying, Jesus, our leader, from on high. Yeah, well, you know what I meant. It's like powerful. the ultimate example of what a leader should be. Yeah. He had he had a crowd, he had 12, he had three, yeah. he had one. So that kind of gives us permission to have friends. Yes, pastors and leaders, we're allowed to have best friends within the church. Yeah. We're allowed to have guys that we're closer to than others. Um, and I think that should set the example for other people. Get you some friends in the church. Yeah. So uh, I think that's one, we have to set the example. Two, I do think we need to say it from the stage, like you said, and I, I did it Sunday night. We recently changed how we do Sunday nights at our church. We Instead of, uh, I won't go into all the details, but I said to our adults as our youth and kids were leaving the room, I said to our adults, we need you guys to know their names. We need you adults to know the names of our youth and kids over in those other classes. So after church tonight, go talk to them, ask them about school. So just vocally from the stage promoting, hey, get to know each other. Um, and, and one more thing, I think that we we need to know our congregations well enough to know that reading the books and going to the conferences and hearing how another guy's doing it won't necessarily work for our context. Um, that's one of the other things I had to learn pretty early on is you go to these huge conferences, you know, state conferences or evangelism conferences or Catalyst or Orange or wherever you go and you hear Andy Stanley and Reggie Joyner and Craig Groeschel and these guys uh talk about how they do things in their church and you go, oh, okay, we'll go back and implement that. Yeah, they get 10,000 a weekend and I get 100. Yeah, It's just not gonna work. So we just have to figure out what works. And again, be intentional about it, but figure out what works. Don't be afraid to try some things and fail and experiment, but make sure people in the church know we're doing this because we value this. We're doing this because it's a priority. Um, and so just, just be intentional about trying things out and figuring out what works in your context. 
Yeah. I, I like one of the things that makes our podcast unique to some others is that we are in the same ministry context as most of our listeners. Yeah. And when I say listeners, it's our friends who yeah. listen to us and hopefully we can encourage them. But um, I'm always appreciative when I listened to a, a podcast yesterday and Matt Chandler was on it. And he was, they asked him about sermon prep and he just said, hey, let me just preface, you know, I pastor, like my sermon prep today looks wildly different than it did 15 years ago. Yeah. He, and he essentially said, this is the majority of what I do now. This is my main responsibility. Right. He said like, you know, 10 years ago, I was setting up chairs in yeah. the worship center and making and hospital Sunday school classes, and, yeah. and, you know, and I so appreciate when people, when, when people with his influence say that, because you'll get at one of those conferences and they'll be like, how long do you spend in sermon prep? Average of 20 hours a week, 15, 17, 24, mm-hmm. you know, and you're just like, oh, man. Six. Yeah. <laughs> Seven so, if I stay up late So Saturday. just like you said, Andy, and the way these guys are doing their things is like we talked about earlier with staff. Yeah. That's how they're building community, right? Like they're, they're having people that are paid to do that and paid to, to go to conferences and find out how to do that and come back and do it. So how do we do it here? Just like you said, don't be afraid to try things and don't be afraid to put yourself out there, personal risk of developing relationships, but also personal risk of trying to do what it takes to get your people to, do, to form relationships. Yep. And it's not easy. And truth is people do want a show. If we're being honest, people want, there's a reason that the biggest churches in our area have the best music and the best preaching and they're out in an hour mm-hmm. and, and probably have small discipleship numbers because people like going and showing up and having a real good, and they even like a good Bible sermon. You know, I, I'm not going to say names to some of these churches, but you know, it's the ones that your members left and went to, right? And they're driving 30 minutes to go to, to quote, go to church, right. but that's literally what they're doing. They're going to church. They're not connecting to a church. But when they're there, I, I've talked to a couple of them. Oh man, the preaching's so good. The preaching's biblical. It's sound. It's strong. Oh, he's not afraid to get on us. Yeah, but then you leave. Yeah. And there's no accountability there. Uh, so if we're not careful, we all want to be those guys. So we build our churches that way. Mm-hmm. We want to have better music. We want to have better preaching. We want to have a better show. And at that point, we are a show and we're not the church. But people also like and need relationships and accountability. I think people that really buy into the gospel and recognize that the spirit can use people to change us. I mean, I hate to keep going back to the physical examples, but we've talked about off the podcast, like that's one of the reasons we enjoy going to, maybe enjoy is a strong word. That's one of the reasons we keep going back to the gym, to these CrossFit gyms is because they promote community and accountability and there's ways to stay connected. And so- And I think it's sad that, to just jump all over you again, because that's, we talked about jumping into each other, but it's sad that people will be like, yeah, I go to big box church McGee, but I work out at CrossFit and you can tell they're getting their community at CrossFit and yeah. going to big box church. Yeah. But they're we, not the church, community there. we can learn from what they're doing. Yes. There. So I, I'm just saying the church ought to be, yeah. And w- by the way, you can have both and you can have community at CrossFit and at church, but, yes. but the reality is the reason those things get so popular is because of the community Absolutely. aspect. Yeah. And that is lacking in so many people's lives. And it's, to me, it's a sad indictment on the church that, that a lot of people go to church but their families at CrossFit. Yeah. Or the baseball field or yes. wherever. Yeah. Um, it's tough, man. It is, but it's, but we've got to figure it out because Genesis one, 
God made the light and the light was good. God made the trees and the trees are good. God made the animals and the animals are good. You keep reading through that creation story and the very first thing that says it's not good is... Be alone. It's not good. God saw that it was not good for man to be alone and so he created a helper. And so I think that uh, I think that's why in Acts they they promoted so heavily. I'm sure persecution had something to do with it too, but they met together constantly. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we always talk about wanting to be an Acts kind of church. That's that's what we have to pursue. We have to pursue the, the teaching of the apostles and the teachings of Christ and the gospel, but also fellowship. We need to get together. We need to break bread. We need to serve together. We need to eat together. We're recording this on Thursday morning. Y'all had a, a family cookout here Spring at the church cookout. last night. Yeah, right? and it was fun. You know, we just, and I could tell some people were antsy about it until we did it, but we didn't start cooking till five. It was from five to seven, mm-hmm. and I bought a bunch of links and hot dogs. Well, I didn't know how many people show up at spring break here. Right. Um, but I said, it's just going to be like a family cookout. Yeah. Five o'clock, we're going to start, and I could tell there are people, oh, are we ready? Oh, we're going to run out of buns. Okay, well, Matt can go pick some up, yeah. you know? And it's just because people are so used to having it all together. They want people to come in and us to unroll the foil and have all the food prepared. We're like, no, we're no, doing this like family. A, yeah, family. So I think nights like that are important, and it wasn't a huge turnout, but it, we had to go buy more food, so yeah. it was a success. But uh, yeah, just trying to do whatever it takes. So ministry leaders, friends, brothers, um, model community, Take part in it yourself. Don't be isolated and lead your church to do that because again, it's a biblical imperative, not because we talked about it for a little over 30 minutes on a podcast, but because the Bible tells us to do it and you need it. And don't be afraid to not know everybody in your church. It's okay. If you have, you know, a hundred plus people in your church, you can't, you can't be best friend to all of them. So let them kind of form their own, not that we should have cliques in the church, but it's okay to have sub families in our church family. Yeah. I think we need to be okay with that. As long as it's healthy and they're not fighting with each other, I think it's okay for the, the ladies Sunday school class to be a little family and the youth group to be a little family. Like let's, let's keep them all talking to each other, but it's okay for us to have those little kind of sub connections within the family. Yeah. In fact, let's empower those. Let's encourage those things to happen. That way everybody feels connected to somebody. I feel connected to you, Rusty. Well, do you, you feel connected? Can't talk about community without bringing up my favorite coffee, community coffee. Today's podcast is brought to you by Community Coffee, grown somewhere else, packaged, I don't know where, but brewed right here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. Dark roast? It's pretty good. Did you hear me? There was was a three-minute stretch there earlier when you were setting up the intro, and I was like... Yeah, if you noticed, man, at the beginning of this podcast, you're like, Rusty is talking a lot today. He just won't let Jared have a word in edgewise. That was because this is what was happening. All right. Well, hey, this this episode is going to be very, very beloved by. I burned my your, This is going to be beloved by your beloved Elizabeth because we're going hot. to we're a smooth thirty five. So this this is over a thirty minute podcast, and our friend Derek Hicks who told me he likes the shorter ones better. Oh, dang it! So sorry, Derek. Thirty five minutes. Some of this might make the cutting room floor. Yeah, we'll edit it. We'll edit it down. We'll get it down to around 32. Nah. Drop the mic. Mm-hmm.